shit, shit, shit show. It's a fucking shit show. Shit show. Welcome back to shit show Saturday. And I found her guys. I found her. Uh, she is not a Scientologist herself, which we're really bummed about, but, uh, this'll do. So welcome Susan. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. What if I was like, and we have L Ron Hubbard reincarnated. <laughs> so maybe we should just get this part out of the way. So your brother joined Scientology when in his, you said twenties. Er, er, yeah. So he was a, uh, he was a student at uh, Cal and he was like going to be a doctor pre-med. I'm, I'm nine years younger than him. So, um, you know, I had this, I idealized older brother thing going on. Um, and then, you know, it was, it was the seventies and, um, he joined Scientology with a friend of his at Cal, um, and dropped out of school. And, um, he's, let's see, how old is he now? He's, is he 70? He might even be, no, he's almost 70. And he's been in Scientology the whole time. He married a Scientologist, his kids, he has two sons that were born into Scientology and it was, uh, never discussed in our family. Um, you know, my mom always, we were raised pretty much by my mom single-handedly, um, always expressed disdain for it, but never really, nothing was ever really explained. It was just, he was in Scientology and we were, uh, Catholic. So that was kind of, you know, against definitely our Catholic faith, but, um, so, but he didn't try to like reel y'all in. No, no. So he wasn't one of those. He's, he's a very passive personality, which I think has made him perfect for being sucked into something like Scientology. Um, but no, no, there was never any uh, attempt to convert us. I think he knew better. I, gr- I grew up with a, a lot of brothers and they were not afraid to kick anybody's ass. So, uh, yeah, I don't think he was going to attempt anything like that. And so did you... Like, how much were you aware of it prior to like going clear, coming out? And once things started to like be said, did you know how weird it was prior to like it becoming more public? Um, I knew, and I don't really know how I knew this, um, because there wasn't a lot of um publicity around it like in the 70s and 80s, but I just knew that they requested a lot of money from him, like, he mm-hmm. never had any money. Um, he basically worked for Scientology for free and then he had to work outside of that to, um, you know, pay rent and eat and raise his family. And I knew they had these like auditing classes and, uh, but no, I didn't know a lot about it. Um, and even before going clear, there was that movie and I kind of forget what it was called, but it had, um, Oh, Nick's in it. Yeah. 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 That was a good one. Yeah. And Um, what's his face who passed away? Um, Oh, right, right, right. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That movie was really fucking good. And so that can, in like the whole Sea Org thing. And mm-hmm. um, so that, I mean, that's, but still, that didn't come out until what, 2000, I don't know. Um, I don't know. So, um, but yeah, it was kind of like, I mean, kind of like everything else in my family. It was a don't, don't ask, don't tell you know, don't feel kind of situation. So first, um, yeah, we we didn't ask questions about anything. Mm -hmm. You you do your thing. I'll do my thing. And, you know, we'll get together for Thanksgiving and that, that kind of thing. Did you watch Leah Remini's show? 
You know, I watched, I think the first season of it and um, I enjoyed it, but then I found that it got somewhat repetitious. There was one episode that really, I think it was like maybe the first episode of the third season, but it was, um, what's the group that, um, that Farrakhan is a part, what is it called? Like, um, Oh, nation uh, of Islam. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, you know, when things started to get so, so public, you know, it's been hard for them to try to get new members. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that they were trying to do was like, get into kind of poorer areas and getting the wealthy. And I think Leah Remini actually donated a bunch of money, but what they started doing was like going into these poor communities to try to get people to join and then having the wealthy Scientology members make donations for them to be able to do the courses and stuff like that. And so they teamed up with the nation of Islam. And it's crazy because there was a clip that they showed of Farrakhan at the pulpit referring to L. Ron Hubbard as a prophet. It was like fucking crazy. I didn't, I've not, I've never heard that. That's pretty interesting. I might have to look that one up. You know how they have like that big, like award ceremony, like thing every year, like one year, I don't know, five years ago, they gave it to one of the people that was like really high up in nation of Islam. Oh, it was crazy. So yeah, Yeah. I don't know how they're not, I mean, they're, they're done. Like they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be able to grow at all. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's going to peter out over time. I would think. I mean, you would think, but I mean, they're so wealthy. They own so much uh, property. It's like, I feel like there's always going to be people that that will appeal to, because there's always people that are looking for answers that are feeling Mm -hmm. lost and Mm -hmm. there was actually a really, so there was um, CNN briefly had this series where they were talking about different cults each episode. And so when they had the Scientology one, I was like, I bet there's not going to be really anything interesting, like, because I feel like I know everything. Right. But it actually was an angle that I didn't know about. So basically what it was talking about was these people who left Scientology once um, David Miscavige came into power. And so they officially left the church, but they're still practicing Scientologists. And it was this one guy in Reno who still does auditing sessions, but but he just doesn't talk shit about Scientology publicly. So that's why they've like let him leave and haven't tried to like destroy his life. Cause like, he just doesn't Hmm. try to, you know. Well, that's interesting because I wonder, you know, how those, the principles of auditing would translate outside of like the super hyper control of Mm -hmm. Scientology, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Oh, is there actually something there? I mean, I think that's the thing with cults is like they borrow from like what I would consider legitimate spiritual psychological movements, but then it gets all twisted because of the people that are running it, uh, the egos that get involved and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, because I sometimes when I hear certain things about Scientology, I'm like, well, I, I kind of believe that. Well, no, I mean, I think that's how they get people too. Right. is like the first few classes that courses that you take are skills that help you a lot, right? Like public speaking and stuff like that. So I feel like that's how they rope people in. I mean, auditing, I mean, it's like therapy in a sense. The only problem is, is that you have this machine that like is not real. 
Right. There's like a box with e-meter. Yeah. So like, yeah, I think it's helpful, but at the same time, like you have this machine that is not doing shit. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, cool. Cults are cool. (laughs) They're fun. Um, okay. So what song do you want played when you walk into a room? Oh, okay. Um, well, the song that still gives me chills every time I hear it is uh, Marvin Gaye, What's mm-hmm. Going On. Every time. Okay, so you want people to get the chills when you walk in the room. Yeah, <laughs> what's going on I'm here, people? Um, favorite carb? Carb. Um, I'm going to say... An almond croissant. Mm, mm, yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Cheese. I uh, actually gave this one some thought. Um, so fancy cheese, I would say, uh, I'm going to go local here with the cowgirl creamery Mount Tam. It's like uh-huh. a brie without like the musty, you know, funky rind to it. You're like, I'm going to go fancy here, craft singles. <laughs> <laughs> Um, on a really bad day yeah yes uh condiment um there is a sauce at this restaurant um near me it's like a puerto rican restaurant and it's um it's like a vinegar chili sauce and it's called pk that's just i mean it's very simple but it's it's really delicious and is it um the place in san rafael yeah called again soul food soul food yeah yeah have you been there Mm mm-hmm yeah but like you put that on like the most mundane bowl of whatever. It's like, oh, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So how did you learn that you were an adult child and did you have an adult child bottom? Um, so coming out of other 12 step groups, um, like I mentioned, I had tried, you know, ACA, which was, you know, back then it was just adult children of alcoholics. And when was that? Like how long ago? (laughs) Oh, we're talking probably 20 plus years ago. Okay. Yeah. But didn't relate because their stories were so extreme and I, I didn't really have the violent alcoholic experience. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, "Eh, I don't know if this is me. Mm -hmm. Also went to some, um, Al-Anon meetings because I ended up marrying an alcoholic, of course. Um, as we do, as we do. And, um, but, and then just, you know, different types of recovery and spiritual growth in the meantime. Um, but I would say, honestly, when I, when I caught your podcast mm-hmm. and I started listening to it and then started reading the laundry list and I'm like, I don't even know, I don't remember the laundry list from before. I don't know if I ever read it or if it was even around, but um, just really highly identified with everything. Um, and what I really like is that it's not just ACA, right? It's, it's adult children of dysfunctional families, which is so much more inclusive. And I mean, I could look at, you know, nine out of the 10 people I know and go, oh yeah, you know, you qualify or you're close or whatever. Um, so I just, instead of like identifying with the label, I identified with the, the traits. That's why, like, in my first, I think it was in my first episode, I said, like, if you're wondering if you're an adult child, don't try to worry about whether or not your family was dysfunctional. First, see if you relate to these characteristics. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 
Um, um, but I don't know that I had a bottom. Um, it was just more kind of a, a slow acceptance of, um, I mean, it's not like I didn't know that my childhood impacted who I am now. I mean, that, that's always been, I've always been aware of that. That's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I guess I've just always known, but I just didn't have the, the words. The verbiage. Yeah. 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 Language. Um, okay. So let's talk about your childhood. Okay. So I grew up in a family, like I said, I have six brothers. So we have seven kids in the family. So it's a big family to start. Um, But what I remember is feeling left out. I mean, I was a tomboy for sure, kind of had to be just to be part of the group. But um, just, you know, these beliefs like girls can't do this, girls can't do that. You're not included in this game. Um, So there was just like a lot of you know, you can't do this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. in some regard, it made me, well, made me very competitive, but also made me maybe stronger, but just, um, feeling like, I think that started like the whole, like, you're not as good as mm-hmm. like girls aren't as good as boys. That's just the way it is. Mm. And, um, you know, you want to wrap that around, uh, an alcoholic narcissistic dad and a narcissistic mom um, who didn't, they were very hands-off as parents, which a lot of parents were back in the Mm sixties. Um, definitely a different strain of parenting uh, than there is now. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was just a lot of neglect and just kind of letting us run wild, like a pack of wolves in the neighborhood. So, it was kind of fun in that way. We could kind of like choose our own adventures and do our own things, but, um, but there wasn't any attention, you know, the parents were, I mean, back in those days, like my mom would bring us all over to like a friend of hers house and there'd be several women there and there'd be smoking and drinking their coffees. And we'd all be downstairs just doing whatever, getting into trouble and (laughs) trying not to break stuff. Mm-hmm. But there was no, like the parent and child interaction was just, it just wasn't there. Were you aware that things were not healthy? Oh yeah. So I also have um, sexual abuse in my childhood. So one of the things in these, these kind of families is keeping secrets. And so that was a big secret that I had to keep. And um you know, I didn't have the relationship with grownups in my life where I could either tell them about it or if they were paying any attention at all, they might have noticed that something was amiss here, you know, that I wasn't sleeping, that I was getting headaches and um, hmm. things like that. And um, at what age? I'm going to say it's hard for me to remember, like six, seven years old. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, and then my dad left the family, just kind of like left one weekend. My parents went away to Carmel for like a romantic weekend. And basically only my mom came back and that was never explained to us. It was like, Oh, dad's dad's gone. And dad moved. And, um, that was never explained. The only thing that was really 
um, asked of us as kids was to take care of our mom from mm-hmm. like my mom's best friends are like, Oh, you got to take care of your mom now. And my mom was a basket case, of course. Um, because my dad didn't provide financially, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, as a parent myself, I can only imagine how difficult that was, but, um, but it was, it, there was a huge sense of shame that that brought upon our family because we were in this tight knit Catholic uh, mm-hmm. community. We all went to the same elementary high school and all that. And people weren't getting divorced back then. So um, mm-hmm. I just remember growing up with just this huge sense of secrecy, shame. Don't ask me any questions. Uh, like the, the pain that was roiling inside of me was just too great um, and nowhere to put it, no mm-hmm. outlet, no one to talk to, no one to check in and say, Hey, how you doing with all this? You know, it was just mm-hmm. like, you're on your own, you know? And so my response to that, I think, was to just shut down emotionally. And so I kind of like drew inward and, you know, I had friends, but I didn't, I was not an adventurous kid, not adventurous in high school. I started self-medicating with alcohol in high school. Um, and I, you know, hung out with people that did the same. So it didn't seem, you know, out of the norm. Um, but I was super depressed looking back. I was very depressed. Um, had no ambition, like when it came around to high school, but then again, no one was asking me, Hey, what do you want to do? You want to go to, you want to go to college or like, it was just, you just had to figure everything out on your own. Um, and then like, I'd say about the age of 19, I just knew, I knew I had to get some help. And so I, I sought out therapy when I was 19 and went to some, like it was some place on Van Ness Avenue. It was like a, uh, like a health services, public service. I think it was like a dispensary for you know, <laughs> psychotic drugs or something, but it was like cheap and it was probably some intern. I don't even remember. It was so long ago, but that started the therapy and that, and I just kind of kept, you know, different therapists after that. But so I stayed in therapy for probably, I don't know, 15 years. And was that the first time that you talked, you had said out loud what had happened to you? Yes. Yeah. And then eventually told my mom and my brothers. Um, and and their response. Well, my mom was like, oh, why didn't you tell me? I mean, she still hasn't fully, it, it, she cannot handle it. She mm-hmm. can't handle it. It's her son, basically, that per- perpetrated this. So that's hard for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that. But um, she wants, her thing is like, oh, it happened so long ago kind of stuff. You know? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, and no. <laughs> um, but my brothers were rallied around me and have always been very supportive of me. Um, so I'm very fortunate in that, you know. I don't have to like leave the family or anything. Um, and they always knew he was a weird brother. So. Yeah. Sounds like it. Now they know <laughs> why. <laughs> um, so when you think about the laundry list, what traits has ca- have caused you the most pain? Uh, number six is speaking to me right now. Uh huh. Yeah. An overdeveloped sense of yeah. responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah easier to be concerned with others than ourselves. Um, 
because I had um, withdrawn so much, uh, you know, I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't have like an identified personality. Mm-hmm. And that came from living in a family where no one was really checking in with me anyway. So I didn't think there was any reason to check in with myself. So I created kind of a, a persona, you know, I mean, I sort of, I mean, I can recall looking at girls or women my age and sort of studying them like their mm-hmm. mannerisms, the way they acted, the way their voice and going, okay, I guess that's a good persona to have. And I would try to mimic it because I didn't, I didn't have any sense of self. Mm. And uh, I just thought that's what life was about was just like the whole exterior presenting your best self bullshit. I had no idea. I had no idea. So I, that was, that was my solution and it did not work very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what has healing looked like for you? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, well, definitely it is a journey. Um, and as, as life has, so I've, I've been married and I have two kids, which was also part of my healing journey. I mean, having kids was very healing for me because it, it asked me to step outside of my own bullshit because I didn't want to pass it on. Mm -hmm. So I had to really, I mean, I wasn't going to therapy or anything when my kids were younger, but I feel like I was very aware of who I was and what I, you know, was potentially passing down to them. And so I knew I had to clean up my shit. Um, Not that I didn't make you know, a lot of mistakes along the way, but, um, but my kids are kind of, well, they're in high school now and, and beyond. So it's kind of nice. Cause I can, um, turn the focus back to me. And so n- these days it's definitely more spiritually based. Um, and like the whole inner child thing, I could never really relate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I find myself uh, accessing that part of myself and really having appreciation for how much shit I had to carry as a child who had no skills, um, you know, and no outlet and just had to sit with it. You know, it's, it's so unfair. It's just, uh, it's so much to ask, but, but yeah, just recently getting in touch with that. And, um, also just an appreciation for, for who I am and like what I have to offer. And I mean, those are things that I never could have imagined myself saying years ago. So it's definitely more, um, inward focused. So do you want to talk a little bit about like the inner child stuff? Cause I mean, I think a lot of people have a hard time kind of like grasping that. And yeah, I think that a lot of people think it's like, you have to be like, Oh, literally Andrea, I love you. But I think that there's a lot of different ways of tapping into our inner child. Mm -hmm. What does that look like for you? Yeah, it's still pretty new to me. So I'm not sure how much I, I can contribute to that, but, um, it's usually during meditation. Um, and it's, it's the vulnerable, the vulnerability, right? That sense of um, opening up and expecting to be taken care of. And that got shut down a long, long time ago for me. And so um, 
what has helped is I'm also in another group. It's, it's just a woman's group. It's not 12 step oriented, but it's very spiritually based. And it's a place where I've been able to practice being vulnerable and Mm -hmm. having people just go, yeah, me too. Me too. You know? And I feel like that allowed me to soften to the point where I could appreciate that part of me, the, Mm -hmm. the child, um, because I didn't either. It was like looking at a photograph of myself, which was very external. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought an inner child, I just could picture myself in a photo or something, but the feelings weren't there, you know? So now I feel like I have, because I've, I've allowed myself to feel vulnerable and allowed people to be there to, to kind of catch me. Um, that I've been able to just have this very um, elementary sense of the inner child, which is just that appreciation for the vulnerability, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, are you dating? Um, taking a break. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've been in a couple of relationships since um, my divorce and the last one was like three years. So it was, it was kind of a long time, but, um, I feel like he was an adult child and I didn't know how to say that to him without basically taking his inventory. And I, I just said it anyway. I didn't say adult (laughs) child, but I said, uh, you know, you got some stuff to work on. And I was always very honest with my stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's like, well, you know, that's great for you kind of thing. But And I just, and yeah, so, uh, but I have this um, tendency to disappear, sadly, when I'm in a relationship. So kind of carrying on the, um, the patterns that I learned in childhood, I, I just try to be like the perfect girlfriend, Mm -hmm. right? And so I was being the perfect girlfriend and he was being the perfect boyfriend. And it felt like I was acting in a play. Mm. And it was like, I mean, we had chemistry and stuff, but it wasn't fun. It just, it was like, this is bullshit, you know? So I don't know actually what I'm looking for. I don't know what I'm looking for. So I'm like, you know, I, I've been hearing these quotes. Um, I think it's Rumi or one of those poets about, you know, I'm the one I've been waiting for, you know, mm-hmm. instead of looking for that outside validation from a guy relationship, whatever. It's like, I'm the one I've been waiting for. Everything that I'm searching for is here already. We all got it. Isn't that nice? It's like such a pressure relief. If someone comes along bonus, but I'm not looking for it outside anymore. I don't want to, it's exhausting. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. Um, it reminds me of this other quote. Um, let me find it. This thing blew up on TikTok. This quote, finding a partner should not, shouldn't be about hunting. When you're leading your life in accordance with your authentic self, you are confident and relaxed enough to wait for the right person to show up. Health attracts health. Your calmness is a form of serenity and faith and makes you attractive. The people attracted to you will be so for all the right reasons. See, and that resonates with people. Why else would it blow up like that? But why do we have so much trouble? No, I mean, it it was good. Like people resonated with it. 
No, I know. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying people are right. They relate to it, and that's why it, it blew up. No, I get blew up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just because I posted my um, I had an incident with my Doobie Brothers video. I made a video. That was hilarious, by the way. And you have a very good imitation of um, Michael McDonald. Michael. Thank you. But so I posted that video about the joke about me being told to sit down. This needs to stop. Stop telling the people in the row in front of you to sit down at a rock concert. You don't get to ruin my good time, bucko. How about you just stay at home on the couch and watch a Doobie Brothers concert on YouTube? Taking it to the couch at your house. Guess what, bucko? I also paid 185 for a ticket. Included in that ticket is my right to stand and dance. Whoa, whoa. Watch me stand up, whoa, whoa, and do a little dancing. And guess what else, bucko? This ain't the symphony, this ain't the ballet, this is the fucking Doobie Brothers concert, okay? (laughs) Standing is what I like to do. Standing is what I'm allowed to do, too. Yes. So I posted that, did I tell you this yesterday? No. Okay, so I I joined the, um, the Doobie Brothers fans Facebook group. Okay. And so I decided to post it in there and I started World War Three. Oh, no. Yeah. And so I would say 80% of the people thought it was hilarious and great. But then the 20% of people did not. And I are sitting not, down. Yeah. yeah and then I'm, I'm you are a loud and obnoxious woman. Shut your pie hole. Um, who, who gives me the right to ruin everything? And I could not not respond. OK, I couldn't. And so I'm fucking like adrenaline pumping. I'm going like, and I don't do this shit, you know, like, and I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself. I'm just going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And then I, I ripped this woman a new asshole. And I, and I, and I, and then right after I posted, I post a meme of Hulk Hogan, like doing a mic drop, like, uh-huh. and, then, and I'm just like, and then I was like, you know what, Andrea? No, we, we don't need to be doing this. So yeah. then like five minutes later, I just went and I just deleted the whole thread. There were like hundreds of hundreds of comments. I just deleted the whole thing and I left the group. <laughs> good for you. That's some self-care right there. Oh, but it felt fucking good. Let me tell you. It felt it good. Is. Yeah, it felt good to just like. Mix it know. up. Yeah, let's go. And I was talking to my therapist about it. And like part of it, I was like, she was like, what do you think that that has to do with? And I said, I think maybe partially because when I was like younger and stuff, like I didn't like defend myself. I didn't like have a voice, yep. you know, or like when I was being like harassed or just, yeah. I don't, yeah. I just, and so it just kind of felt empowering. Yeah. But it was not spiritually fit. It's okay. You, you acknowledged it. And, yeah. yeah. It was fun while it lasted. Yeah. I like took screenshots of the whole thing so I could, you know, revel in it when I want. she was like how about you cough up the money to buy a vip ticket or a box if you want a party and i was like how about you cough up the money to have a private concert at your house where you can have an orchestra policy of of no standing or or dancing then the mic drop it it was a lot longer than that it was quite a yeah but yeah yeah so that's me <laughs> um so what are three things that you like about yourself oh uh let's see let me think uh well i do think humor has helped me out a lot in my life being able to i mean it's been a buffer i suppose 
to strong feelings, but it's also gotten me through a lot of tough stuff. Um, I feel like I've become a really good friend to people. I feel like I, I understand what being a friend is now and I appreciate my ability to like listen to my friends and just be there and not try to fix them. And, um, I've learned those skills along the way. And I do think I'm a good mom. I do think I'm a good mom to my kids. And, and, um, that was really the only thing I really gave a shit about being good at. I didn't really have a lot of career aspirations, but I said, you know what? I just want to be a good mom to my kids if I'm ever lucky enough to have them. So I love that. Thank you. Um, so what's a hope or dream that you have for your future? I, well, I need to thank you for your, uh, recent pod on, um, debtors anonymous, because that just kind of, (laughs) that was, um, a shocker to me because I mean, uh, so I'm, I'm a DA now. I, I, I joined fucking 12 step group because of your podcast. So just know that your work is, is helping us. Um, I mean, just like with, uh, the adult child laundry list, everything on, they don't call it a laundry list, but they're, it, are you? Yeah. 12 signs yeah. of compulsive daddy. Yeah. Uh, of every single one. Um, so my hope for my future is to become solvent financially and to, um, be financially responsible. Hmm. Me too, lady. Yeah. So, well, this has been lovely. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you so much for asking me. Well, that wraps up Shit Show Saturday. As always, sign up for the Patreon. That is where I host weekly support groups. And it's where you say thanks, Andrea, for all that you do. Patreon.com slash adult child. Follow me on TikTok and Instagram at adult child pod. And give me a damn five star rating on Apple and Spotify. And I will see y'all shit shows on Wednesday. Bye. Bye.